happy post-Valentine's Day. Cue cheesy love song. And welcome back for yet another week of Sip of Humanity. This week, as promised, I will be continuing on with the love series, whatever I called it last week, relationships, all that good stuff, because again, it is the month of love. I hope you all had a lovely Valentine's Day, whether or not you spent time loving yourself, loving others, or just loving the fact that you are learning ways to love yourself and others. And today's episode will be dedicated to expanding our knowledge and the information from last week, which was dedicated to how to acknowledge ways to better love yourself and tips and routines to enact on a day-to-day basis. So if you haven't listened to episode 10, Love Thyself, Go back and check that out because this is going to be a further expansion of that conversation. As I've mentioned before, I am a big believer in the idea that knowing and accepting yourself is the true way to love yourself. And when we love ourselves better, we can love other people better. So I wanted to talk today about a really important concept that I'm sure many people have heard of and have discussed in some areas. If you've dated at all, if you've taken a psychology class, if you've even just heard about it in just basic social media, um, it's probably not unfamiliar. But I wanted to expand on it and touch on some pieces of why Attachment theory and attachment styles are so, so important in not just our love lives and not just in the way that we love ourselves, but also in all of our relationships and the satisfaction that we have in those relationships. So today I want to discuss and explain what attachment theory even is go over what the different attachment styles are, and then talk about some of the importance of understanding and applying this theory as it relates to your past, your present, and then your future. So in this episode, I'm going to discuss what makes the difference between an insecure attachment style, and there are several, and a secure attachment style and how those things may play out in your life, in your romantic relationships, in your friendships, in your work relationships, and even in the relationship with yourself. As humans, we are driven to seek connection. We are driven by social interactions, by social status, by a slew of other things and we ultimately crave and desire intimacy. It's biologically important for us and it's psychologically and emotionally important for us. It is within our nature to seek the comfort and contact of other humans and have that love, support, and comfort from others. So 
we would assume that that kind of comes easy to us, right? If this is something that's so vital for our survival is to be in connection with other humans and be able to cooperate and work well and love and support one another, wouldn't this be such an easy thing that's kind of ingrained and integrated into us? <laughs> Wrong. So let's break it down and go back to the basics of what attachment theory really is and why it's so difficult for humans to just get along. So I want everybody to just pause and think for just a moment if you are repeating some of the same patterns in your life over and over and over again. Are there some areas that continue to seem to be problematic? Is there a possibility that you are in fact the common denominator in most of your interpersonal relationship problems? I'm not saying you are. I am saying that you probably do contribute to some of them, however. And if you are continuing to see very specific things play out, it's possible that this episode will be very helpful for you. With that, let's get back to the basics and talk about attachment theory. That was really lame. Let's talk about attachment theory, guys. And <clears throat> I will try not to make weird singy, songy remarks for the rest of the episode. Okay, thanks. As I mentioned last week, self-awareness is absolutely key for self-love. And self-love is also going to be key in having flourishing and satisfying relationships in your life, whether that be romantic, whether that be friendship, whether that be professionally work-related, whether that be with your children and your family. We need to develop that. And today's episode is going to be about developing and strengthening that self-awareness muscle because we all need to be doing that. We can't be running around in life pointing fingers at everyone, accusing them of being toxic and not working on themselves when in fact we need to take a look in the mirror and have a little chat with ourselves as well. So if you find yourself in situations that continue to disappoint you, where you are feeling dissatisfied, whether it be in your dating life, whether it be with your friendships, whether it be with your family encounters, I am going to touch on how our initial childhood experiences and our families have impacted some of our ways of relating and dealing and coping with other humans. And I want us all to be able to have a little bit of an objective opinion on where we might be coming from in our relationships so that we can do better for ourselves and for the people around us. And I want to make a quick disclaimer about the fact that we cannot change where we came from. We cannot change who our parents are. We cannot change our upbringing. This is not to put shame or blame on any parenting style. I'm not a parent myself, so who the hell am I to say anything? I mean, I do have some psychology training, and you know, but that's neither here nor there. Again, I'm not shaming 
any parents or my parents or my family or your parents or your family or anything like that. I'm not trying to create victim stances. All I'm trying to do is create a level of understanding of what your history may be and how you can relate that to these broader theories and maybe make some small adjustments and small changes in your life as you move forward to create more secure attachments in your relationships so you can have more satisfying and happy and successful interactions with other humans whether they be work friends family or partners so with that I'm going to discuss the four different attachment styles and this is actually one of the most robustly studied areas of psychology. Um, the attachment theory itself has just been integrated into behavior psychology over the years. Mary Ainsworth is one of the pioneers and many people, especially if you've taken even a brief psychology course, are probably familiar with what's called the strange situation and just to give a brief overview of what that study did is they had children with their caregivers in a room with toys and different things like that and the experimenter would leave the room with the parent uh, and they would basically see how the child reacted and they basically developed these four different areas of attachment styles based on what they witnessed in those rooms with those children. So to get into it, I'm going to touch on the four different attachment styles. And as I talk about these, just think about how this may relate to your understanding of yourself, maybe some patterns of relationship. And again, this is not to put yourself in a place of shame or guilt yourself or start having negative thought patterns. This is to understand how we can better look at our own lives and make adjustments so that we can move forward and be our best human. So the four attachment styles are anxious, which is also known as preoccupied, Second is avoidant, also known as dismissive. And the third is disorganized, also known as fearful avoidant. And the fourth is secure. For the sake of not confusing myself as I talk as well as anybody else, I'm going to call them by anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure attachments. I didn't make the names. I'm, I'm not accusing anyone of being anxious avoidant disorganized or I mean if I mean if I'm accusing you of being secure and you have a problem with that maybe you're not as secure as you think or I think I don't know but I'm just going with that to keep ease of of my lips so to go over each of these very quickly um, I want to just do a brief overview of what each of these are and I am gonna post a link to the attachment project below they have a little quiz that you can take that will give you your attachment style so if you really aren't sure and you need a little bit more of an objective analysis then you can go in there um, and remember online tests are only as objective as 
the answers that you're giving them. So if you're allowing your answers to be skewed because you have a perception bias and you want people to see you in a certain way, even though you're the only one that's going to see the results, those results aren't going to tell you what you need to hear. They're just going to tell you what you want to hear. But side note, regardless. So the first uh, attachment style I want to talk about is the anxious attachment style. People with an anxious attachment style are often thought of as the very clingy type, people who need a lot of attention, a lot of reassurance. They have a high level of anxiety when it comes to being alone. And so they're often very preoccupied with thinking about the relationship, wondering how they can make the relationship work, worrying about if the relationship is working. And this often is developed from a place of having negative self-image but also having a positive view of others. And so it drives individuals to seek approval, support, and a high level of responsiveness from their partners, from their families, and from even work environments. But essentially the anxious attachment style is driven by this strong fear of abandonment. And so keeping themselves safe is a priority as it is for everyone, right? We go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the attention and care of other people seems to be their coping mechanism for remedying that anxiety. And so this creates a lot of interdependence, a lot of codependency and can ultimately push a lot of people away if they're sensing that this person is incapable of kind of being alone and doing things on their own and having a sense of independence. So the second one is the avoidant attachment style. And this is the person who perceives themselves as this very independent lone wolf type, someone who is very self-sufficient and not necessarily in a physical sense. Um, They may need assistance with moving things and other aspects like that, but in terms of their emotional availability and their emotional levels, they often see themselves as very strong and not needing other people or not needing anyone else to kind of boost them up or make them feel a self of a sense of confidence they don't want to depend on other people they don't want to have other people depend on them and they are very unlikely to seek out social support Um, they're also less likely to seek out approval in those social bonds and those social relationships so they may have less friends and often tell people, oh, well, I don't really care that much. I'd rather be alone. And that's not, you know, a core, you know, that's not a key indicator. Some people just prefer alone time. Um, But it's, again, a balance in all of these areas. So take the test if you're wondering if any of these things are hitting on you. Um, Someone with a avoidant attachment style may also hide or suppress some of their feelings, they will tend to bury down a lot of their emotions when they're feeling this intense arousal of emotional uh, triggering. They don't want to have to break down 
They don't want to have to rely on somebody else to maybe help them regulate. They don't want to cry on someone's shoulder. And if they do, that is an extremely vulnerable moment for them. So now that we've talked about the first two, comes the third, which is disorganized. And just as it sounds, this attachment style tends to be all over the place. And it's this swinging back and forth of the anxious and avoidant attachment styles and often is exhibited through unstable and unpredictable behaviors. People may not really know how they're going to react in certain situations and especially partners when you do have that level of vulnerability and closeness it may be a oh well they react this way sometimes and then that way other times and it's difficult for people who have this disorganized attachment style to regulate their emotions and the issue is that they really want to have this sense of intimacy and closeness the same way that an anxious attachment style would but at the same time they experience a lot of trouble depending on others the same way that a avoidant attachment style is and they are constantly in this flex between the two of trying to figure out where a good boundary lies for them and maybe going too far one way and then way overcorrecting and going the other way and so it creates a very confusing behavior pattern especially for partners and families and friends now i do want to just make a little side note that this is one of the attachment styles that has but more highly linked to actual diagnosable mental illnesses, um, different mood disorders, borderline personality disorder, and I do want to preface any of my tips and tricks with just understanding that if you do have a diagnosable disorder, that while this is applicable and can be helpful in your treatment and learning more about yourself that you definitely need to make sure you're talking through what your attachment style is and how that may be impacting some of your relationships and how your individualized symptoms of whatever illness or concerns that you may be dealing with in regard to your mental health may be impacting um, as well so this is again not to minimize if you do have any type of mental illness or mental health concerns that additionally impact your life on top of just the difficulty in being human and or, or interacting with other humans and not being an awkward mess. Maybe it's just me. Anyways, um, <laughs> talking about disorganized, uh, back to the topic. Uh, so... A disorganized attachment style is going to have a lot of difficulty in regulating that. And so um, understanding that if any of these things are kind of hitting home for you, you may really benefit from talking through a couple of these things with, you know, a professional, maybe writing some of them down and looking at different themes, talking to some of your close friends or family or your partner or even your children about some behavior patterns that you may be engaging in that aren't making them feel like your guys' relationship is the best that it can be. 
taking that accountability and having that self-awareness is super, super important in starting to break these cycles. So I'm just going to say that. But lastly, because this is where we want to get to, is what we call a secure attachment. So the three that I just explained are what we would consider insecure attachment styles. They are characterized by difficulties in cultivating and maintaining relationships long term. As you can imagine, experiencing a relationship with someone who has any of those the three tendencies that I just outlined or experiencing a relationship as someone who has any of those three tendencies that I just outlined can be difficult. And I'm sure many of you can just take a moment and imagine some personal experiences that are ringing a bell for you. So in contrast to that, a secure attachment style basically allows you to have interactions and interpersonal connections with people in ways that you can comfortably express your emotions. And it allows people to depend on their partners, on their friends, on their family, and let their partners and friends and family in turn rely on them. So the relationships are usually based on, not usually, the relationships are based on a foundation of honesty, tolerance, and emotional closeness, which continues to build connection and a sense of love and appreciation for the relationship that you have with someone. We all want to thrive to achieve a level of secure attachment type in our relationships. And the good news is that while these things develop early and they often remain very stable over time, if we work actively to adjust some of our negative self-talk, some of our behavioral understandings of relationships that were imprinted on us as children and may have been reinforced in our ongoing relationships, we actually have the amazing ability to change. And it's this awesome thing called neuroplasticity. And I'm just going to nerd out for just a moment because Andrew Huberman, he just released an episode this week um, on love, desire, and connection. And basically discussed how this idea of attachment can be promoted and we can change our attachment styles. Our brains have the ability to create new neural pathways and new understandings about our relationships with ourselves and with other people. So if we do the work to understand where we are in the process and how we are bringing certain things to certain relationships and how we may be impacting our ability to have healthy and happy relationships, we can actually start to fix those things and we can start to slowly but surely change our actual brains to be better humans. Sorry, nerd moment aside, but I'm going to talk about neuroplasticity. No, I'm not going to go into neuroplasticity again, but I am going to talk about the idea of attachments and hormones and this intersection of biology and psychology here in a minute. I just got so excited that I smacked the microphone. Wow, I'm nerding out. Let me stop and take a drink of water because... So 
to give a quick overview of how attachment styles form and how they are solidified and carry on with us in our later lives. Um, the research is very convincing that ultimately the way that these attachment styles are imprinted on us in childhood and the way that we engage in these attachment styles as children and adolescents follows us into our adult relationships. And that has been shown in a variety of areas, including our workplace, our sex lives, our dating lives, our family relationships. And knowing these things can help you not only be better in understanding why some of your relationships may not be going the way that you want, but they also may help aid you in guiding your relationships to be better and to be a better parent, to be a better partner, to be a better friend, and to give yourself some grace and understanding for why things may have not been working out for you the way that you intended them to or the way that you want them to or that you have this conscious awareness of this being a problem but you just haven't had the real tools or the steps to actually implement anything to do something about it. So um, it's based on this idea that our caregivers are primarily responsible for our needs as children. And as I outlined in the previous episode, that hierarchy of needs comes into play and our primary needs need to be met, our physical needs, our safety needs, and then also as we get higher up that hierarchy, our emotional needs and our self-esteem, our self-actualization, that all needs to be met. So because we haven't been able to understand that level of self-actualization yet because we are babies, we need our caregivers to demonstrate how we will in turn think of ourselves and love ourselves. Our brains are little sponges, so we need good information coming into them. Basically, a child who has all of these needs attuned to will ultimately build a sense of secure attachment. And this is not to say that having great parents you will automatically have a secure attachment style. If you are exposed to other types of things, perhaps you don't feel safe at school or you don't feel safe with other family members or something happens to you that has nothing to do with someone intentionally putting you in danger, but you perceived as a child, and again, all of this goes back to the perception and the reality of the child so if the child is perceiving their environment to not be safe even if from an adult's perspective or anyone else's perspective it is safe we have to understand that that child is perceiving this lack of sense of safety and there may be something deeper to that that may have been triggered previously so always something good to understand is that if someone seems irrationally or unreasonably afraid or nervous or anxious about something that probably has roots in a deeper area of their past or their history. So when someone has those needs met and people are attuned to what it is that they are needing and they're able to cultivate all of those levels as they grow older, they develop these secure senses of attachment. They feel that they can trust their friends. They feel that they can rely on them when they need them. They feel that they can be open and vulnerable. 
The problem is that when you have caregivers who are not meeting the children's needs or not emotionally available or responsive when the child is seeking attention, affection, or support, that secure bond sometimes is not able to be formed. And again, to clarify, I am not shaming any parents here at all. Parenting is hard. I babysat for years and I understand how tiring it can be. And I knew I got to give these guys back. I knew they were returnable. So for me to say that I was tired after babysitting for eight to 10 hours and, you know, watching kids all day long, yeah, I can understand that you may not be able to attune to your kids' needs all the time as well as your own. And I get it. Life is hard. I am not here to talk down on any parenting style. I'm just here to talk about us reflecting back on maybe some of our personal experiences. And again, this is our personal reality, our personal perception of how we may have developed some of the problematic relationship behaviors that we continue to behave in. And it's not to say that they're bad. It's to say that these behaviors have become maladaptive and they're not fucking working. Because if you're losing friends or you can't find dates or you and your partner aren't happy together or your kids are constantly angry with you and you feel like there's just a block in communication, then maybe something isn't working and the only person that you can change is you. So let's get to it. Again, I understand some people had really tough childhoods. Some people's parents did everything they could and... It just isn't enough sometimes in these days and age and kids go hungry and kids get left alone and have horrifying experiences. Unfortunately, in my line of work, I have to see and read and hear a lot of the really horrific things that happen to children and other other humans that it shouldn't happen to. And these experiences shape our adult lives. They shape our relationships. They shape our attachments and they shape our ability to love and to be loved. And so on a very serious note, if you truly care about being your best self and really having the best relationships that you can moving forward, you may have to have some of these tough conversations and you may have to really dig deep and to put a little perspective on all of this I just would like to say that many of us do not belong to a securely attached group. Many of us are a little fucked up and we are learning how to be better. We have realized that hitting children is not really the most effective way to teach them. We've learned a lot of other things about parenting and child rearing and teaching and supporting kids and bullying and all of these things that it's a lot of information. It's a lot of things to try and be your best human every single day in every single way. And I understand it gets overwhelming. So I get it. Not a lot of us are in this securely attached group. You may have moments of secure attachment. You may have relationships that are very securely attached, but you may have an underlying insecure attachment style and understanding what and where that comes from 
can be very helpful when you do start to feel this unraveling of some of your relationships. And again, this concept of neuroplasticity that I geeked out on a minute ago, it kind of ties back into that. Just as we can change our levels of neuroplasticity for the better and we can be resilient to what happened to us in the past and work forward in ways that help us push past some of these negative experiences that have locked our brains in this state. We also have to realize that sometimes when things happen to us that are not ideal, our brains can also go the other way. And so if you have developed a secure attachment style over the years, you've really worked on yourself, I'm here to tell you that's not permanent. This is a everyday work in progress rents due bitch so you know sorry be so aggressive but it is like you need to be putting in this work and understanding where you may be slipping up and so if you have a tough experience that re-triggers some of those traumatic memories for you that re-triggers some of the anxiety or avoidance or disorganized behavior that you may have engaged in in previous relationships and you've done the work to get to a point where you're not having those things, just have that sense of self-awareness so that you can check yourself before your relationships start to be damaged as a result of that. So understanding that we're all a little fucked up. We all have some issues. We're all human. If you have more interest in looking into the different attachment styles and going into more depth, I will post a great resource and a link where you can take that quiz and you can kind of look through their websites called the attachment project they also have great workbooks for people who do want to start doing that self-work um, I did want to just give three basic tips for today's episode on how you may be able to implement some of this knowledge and understanding into your life to start to develop a more securely attached relationship style moving forward, whether that be in regard to your work, in your dating life, in your parenting life, in your friendships, or in all of the above. So without further ado, last but not least, here's your tea for the week. Number one is, again, going back to last week's episode, if you haven't listened, Love thyself. Self-love is so important. This ability to heal your shame and raise your self-esteem, have this sense of self-worth that you know regardless of what your physical traits and characteristics are, what your achievements are, you have a sense of value. So love thyself. And if you love thyself, you will go back and you will listen. And if you love me, you won't make me repeat myself again. So thanks. If you need to seek professional help to do that, then I absolutely recommend that. If you have other ways that you can engage in self-love and a sense of self-awareness that encompasses all the aspects I talked about last week, then all the power to you. The second one is to... Stop letting your hormones get the best of you. So this ties back into my nerd out moment from earlier about uh, neuroplasticity. And 
basically, when we think about our brains and our social interactions, we are, yes, having psychological experiences, but we're also having biological experiences when it comes to hormones. I talked about dopamine on my very first episode, and that is essentially the reward molecule. Basically, this hormone that influences us to continue to seek that behavior. So when we are letting our hormones get the best of us, that means that we are being reactive instead of being responsive to situations that may be troubling us, that may be causing anxiety, that may be causing avoidance, that may be causing disorganization in the way that we handle our interpersonal relationships. So when we allow our nervous system to get all flared up and we experience a rush of different hormones, possibly positive hormones. Maybe we get all giddy and we have an anxious attachment style and we're so excited that this person likes us and then all of a sudden they stop texting and they ghost and you go into full anxious mode and you begin to react to this pit in your stomach and some of those physiological feelings that you may be experiencing and you react instead of respond to the emotional state you're in. And I'll go into emotional regulation in another episode. Uh, But if we sit with an emotion for more than 15 minutes, it kind of just seeps away. And yes, it is very uncomfortable sometimes to have to sit with that. But if we understand that we can push through a certain emotion, typically emotions don't last in our system, in our nervous system, for that extended period of time. So 15 minutes, and that's, again, in interpersonal relationship issues, they usually recommend about a 15 to 30 minute break so that two people can actually calm their nervous systems down before re-engaging in conversation. So don't let your hormones get the best of you. Whether it's in the bedroom or in the argument, I don't know. I don't care. Just be careful about being reactive versus being responsive in situations that may become problematic or may start to trigger your old patterns of behavior that you know are problematic. A huge piece of doing that is learning ways that you can self-soothe and you can self-regulate. So not everyone is capable of being in the middle of an angry fit or an anxiety fit and just taking 15 minutes and husa breathe inhale and exhale no like i understand that's not super realistic so if you need 15 minutes to go punch a punching bag or you know take a walk around the block whatever it may be you have to figure out what some of your self-soothing and your self-regulating mechanisms are for when you feel that you're going to react and you can delay that reaction and you can come up with a more responsive way to engage so that you don't sever that relationship if you value it the last and third thing is stop playing fucking games honestly Like, this is my tough love piece for the week. Stop playing games. The cat and mouse stuff, and this applies beyond relationships. This applies beyond dating. This especially applies to dating and relationships, but it applies beyond that. This can apply to dealing with your boss or that person at work that you just don't want to be assertive with and you don't want to be communicative 
And so instead, there's this level of just not being direct and being manipulative at a certain point. So all of the game playing is not healthy for developing a secure attachment style. And you may have seen it all over, you know, all these strong, independent people who are like, you know, I would rather be by myself than be with someone else. They may be exuding some avoidant attachment style behavior, but at the same time, there's also people out there who are just sick and tired of playing the games. There's no reason to manipulate someone's feelings or to try and make someone jealous or behave in a way that you know that they're going to react because maybe they don't have some of their coping mechanisms down yet and they can't self-soothe and self-regulate. So we all need to take a step back and understand what role we may be playing in continuing our insecure attachment styles and some of these behaviors that don't promote a change in our brain state and don't promote neuroplasticity and keep us in these same toxic patterns of behavior that ultimately are hurting our relationships, which ultimately is hurting ourselves. So stop playing the fucking games, get your hormones under control and love yourselves. All right, humans, I will talk to you next week. I plan on talking about the love languages. So tune in. Until next time. Bye.